So, let's turn our attention now to the Word of the Lord. If you have a Bible, I invite you to take and turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through the end of the chapter, which is verse 38. So, Acts chapter 20, verses 16 through 38. Before we read the Word of the Lord, let's take just a moment to pray once again. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you so very much for your Word and for the truth that is found in it. God, in spite of a foolish servant, I ask that you would proclaim your truth to us this morning. Father, all of us in this sanctuary together stand on equal ground in desperate need of your love, of your mercy, of your word. Lord, please speak to us. Help us, God, to change our lives, to follow you, to believe that you are the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and that no man, no person can come before you except through Jesus Christ, the Son and our Savior. As we turn our attention now to your holy word, Father, we do ask that you would convict us, you would challenge us, that you would encourage us, and that you would comfort us. All of this is possible through the power of your perfect word as it is preached through your Holy Spirit. So may your Holy Spirit embody us, speak to us, and dwell with us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. I would encourage you to turn there in your own Bible. If you don't have one, you're free to take one of the ones from the pew back in front of you. And that can be your Bible to keep. That will be our gift to you. Or you can follow along on the screens. But however you're accessing the text this morning, I would ask if you would please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. As we look together... The book of Acts, chapter 20, beginning in verse 16. The word of the Lord says, For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus, so that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know... How I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plot of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith. In our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. 
Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We come to this passage this morning. And we find Paul on his way home from his third missionary journey. He has gone on three different separate missionary journeys and traveled all across the Mediterranean. Every time that you hear the word Asia that we read, that's referring to the modern day area of Turkey. So that was known as Asia Minor and Paul is referring to that area as Asia. He has spent three long years with the church at Ephesus. Paul first gets sent out and he he goes on a missionary journey that lasts about a year and a half. His second missionary journey lasts about two and a half years. This third missionary journey, he has spent a huge amount of time at one church called Ephesus, the Church of the Ephesians. It's where the letter of the Ephesians that we have later in the book comes from. He writes a letter back to this church. But what Paul has been commissioned to do by the church and by the Holy Spirit is to visit the churches that are doing well and take up an offering to go back to Jerusalem with that offering. We read about this in 2 Corinthians. Paul goes and he visits these various churches, collects what we would call a love offering, and then is on his way to take it to Jerusalem. But at every point, the Lord tells him he needs to go. And the more that the Lord tells Paul that he needs to go and deliver this offering in person, the more that everywhere he stops, people tell him, Paul, we got plenty of other people that can take that offering to Jerusalem. Paul, just let anybody else go. We've got plenty of other people. There's one time in an encounter where a man comes and takes off Paul's belt. As led by the Holy Spirit, he binds his hands and his feet using Paul's belt. And he says, this is how you will leave Jerusalem, so says the Holy Spirit. People are begging Paul, don't go. 
Just stay with us. If you stay here in Ephesus, we can have a fantastic ministry together. Think of all of the disciples that we could make, the people that would go out from here as more missionaries. This would be a great place for you to set up camp, Paul. Just stick with us. Paul knows this so well that note at the very beginning, he sends word from Miletus to the elders at the church of Ephesus. That the leadership might come out to meet him, but that he wouldn't have to go all the way in. Because Paul loves this church so much that if he goes all the way to the church and sees everybody else, he's afraid that he'd be flooded with emotion and he'd be flooded with compassion and love for this church and he would fall to their demands and say, you know what? I'm just going to stay here. I know imprisonment's waiting for me in Jerusalem. I know there's a lot of people that hate me in Jerusalem. I mean, my name used to be Saul. My life used to be easy. I was the top dog. I was on my way up to be in the Sanhedrin and, and possibly be the high priest one day. Who knows? I had the best pedigree, and they are really upset that the Lord grabbed a hold of me, changed my name to Paul, and now I'm preaching the gospel everywhere I go. So I think I could just stay right here in Ephesus. He calls for the elders of the church. Because he knows he can still communicate to the church through them and he won't be drawn to stay. He'll be able to resist just a small group of people. But if an entire church body comes around him and says, Paul, please don't go, he's afraid he won't leave. This is a man who very much is convicted by the Holy Spirit with a mission and a calling. He knows what he has to do and he is willing to make any sacrifice necessary to do it. He is convinced of his calling, and he will follow through with what the Lord has told him to do. Even if that means saying goodbye to very close, dear friends. A church that he helped found. A church that he nurtured and grew. People that he watched from infancy of faith to be full-fledged leaders in the church. That word elder, you, you also heard the word overseer. Those are the same word, and it, it means pastor. It's the exact same word as a pastor. I know that today, in today's context, when we hear elder, we think of some body of elders that exists outside of the church. But he's talking about he gathered the church pastors together. And we have to understand that most of these pastors are probably men he trained to be pastors. Men that he would consider sons in the ministry. These are people that he has a relationship like Timothy with and a small group of them. And he calls them out to meet him so that they can talk about what has taken place, where he's going, and the ministry that he did among them. And so he gives this speech to them. And he says, you yourselves know how I lived from the whole time that I set foot in Ephesus, the whole time that I was in all of the churches in Asia. He served the Lord with humility and with tears and with trials through all of the things that happened, through all of the plots, he stayed faithful. He did not shrink from declaring all that was profitable in teaching in public and house to house the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we get to verse 21. Verse 21 is very special because of how it falls in all of the canon of Scripture. Paul puts two ideas that are normally held in contrast to one another together saying that they go hand in hand. It looks like they're in tension, but they are not. He says he was testifying both to Jews and to Greeks. 
of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a profound combination of things that are normally juxtaposed against one another. So what we have is Paul saying it is both repentance and faith. Now listen, you you may not be very experienced with some different denominations that preach only belief. And some different churches and denominations that preach only repentance. But these churches are doing exactly what Paul warns would happen. That there would be wolves that come in. There would be imposters that rise up that try to teach you false truth about Scripture. And so what we know from the rest of the counsel of the Lord is that what Paul is saying is 100% accurate. It is a both and when it comes to belief, faith, and repentance. And I just want for us this morning to spend a little bit of time looking at the relationship between repentance in our lives and faith in Jesus Christ and how the two are intertwined and not opposed to one another. So look with me, if you will, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3, a very familiar passage. There's several passages I want to look at this morning that speak of faith and faith alone, belief and belief alone. All you have to do is believe. John 3.16, one of the most famous and well-known verses in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever, anybody, from anywhere, love King James, whosoever believeth in Him. You can never get rid of the beauty and the poetry of the King James version of the Bible. It is absolutely astounding, and I love it. And when you you quote verses, so many times the King James just rolls off of your tongue. Whosoever believes in him, believeth in him, should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, so that whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. We stand as people who are in enmity with God. We are condemned already. There is no question of our condemnation. Without belief in Jesus, we all are condemned. The only way to escape condemnation is belief. But if you only read John 3, verses 16, 17, and 18, you could walk away thinking, if I just believe, if I just know it to be true, if I just believe that that is the case, that everything's okay. doesn't matter what I do with my life. doesn't matter how I live. doesn't matter if or when I'm a part of a church or I'm around other believers. All that matters is I believe in my heart. That's all that's required. Let's continue. Acts chapter 16. Beginning in verse 25, Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening. Paul is imprisoned. His partner Silas is with him. The two of them are imprisoned for sharing the gospel. The prisoners were listening to them. And then in verse 26, suddenly there was a great earthquake. that The foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were were open. The Lord literally shook open the doors of the jail and everyone's bonds were unfastened. 
When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. This is because his life was dependent upon those prisoners. If they got away, he could either kill himself now or wait till tomorrow morning when they rush in and they kill him for losing his prisoners. He had no choice. So he said, I can't spend the rest of this night in anticipation waiting on the superior officers to come in and do away with me. I'll just take my own life. So it says that he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that all the prisoners must have escaped. Verse 28, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for light and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? In verse 31, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. You notice nothing about repenting, nothing about changing his life, nothing about turning away from his sin and turning to God. All we have is the word believe. Some have even pounced upon this passage to try and teach that if you as a husband or you as a wife or you as a mother and father can believe in Jesus, then your whole house will be saved whether they believe in Jesus or not. But that's the reason we continued reading in the passage. If you notice, he says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You, if you believe, and your whole household, if they believe, is the implied statement. Why else would they waste their time speaking the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house? If they're all going to be saved, why would you waste your time preaching the gospel to them? Because they have to believe for themselves. But again, no mention of repentance. This is only belief. We move to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 verse 6 says, but the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is also a very famous and popular passage used along the Romans road to tell somebody how to believe in Jesus, how to be saved. And if you take it as literally as what people do, then there must be a work that is added to your salvation. It's not just belief. This is the first passage where something else has been added to the belief, right? We have to believe and confess. If I just believe and I don't confess with my mouth, then I will not be saved. My heart can justify me, but my mouth has to confess so that I can be saved, correct? I would say that all of these things are intertwined 
together another extremely powerful and popular passage. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in christ jesus for good works which god prepared beforehand that we should walk in them this passage is powerful and it helps us bring these two concepts together it is through belief but it is also a changed heart that is born out of that belief you see as we look through ephesians chapter 2 we were dead but we're brought to life, raised us up and seated us with Christ so that in the coming ages we might be shown the immeasurable riches. By grace we have been saved through faith. This is not our own doing. There's nothing we can do to earn this and it's not a result of works. No one can boast. But we are His workmanship. And we were created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works which God has already prepared beforehand, that we might walk in them. There is a change of heart and a change of our actions that has to take place. If we are saved, if we do believe, our life will show it. God has created us as His workmanship, as something He has crafted and has set in front of us good works for us to do to draw attention and glory to Him. It's not just a call out, a single prayer, a walk down the aisle. It's not just a simple, well, do you believe or do you not believe? Do you know it in here? Have you changed in here? Folks, I'm not adding works to salvation because it's not by works that we're saved. But it is a root and fruit issue. When the root is changed, the fruit will change. That's why the other passages that we see in Scripture reinforce to us how necessary repentance is. Look with me in Luke chapter 24. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer And on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these 
things. Acts 3.19, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. Acts 5.31, God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Acts 17, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 and 10. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Folks, there are some denominations, there are some churches that preach wholeheartedly that the only thing you need in your life is to repent. They preach that if you do not repent, then you will go to hell. And repentance looks like this, and they make out a list of being in church every Sunday. You miss on a Sunday, and you are in jeopardy of losing your salvation. If you are not baptized in the right waters, in the right way, with the right belief, then you might be condemned to eternal punishment. They do not preach belief. They preach repentance and make it a work. That is improper understanding of God's Word. There is a reason that all of these passages we have looked at go hand in hand. It is a belief that leads to repentance. And, and folks, i just got to be honest with you. A lot of times when we first begin to believe in Jesus, our lives get infinitely harder. You know why? It's because of what was there in Ephesians chapter 2. Because of the way we used to walk, we felt no guilt, we felt no shame. It didn't bother us unless our parents or there was some societal pressure that was pushing in on us to fit us into a mold to be good people and to be moral and ethical. Other than that, we had no consciousness of, well, I better not do this. I better, maybe I ought to do that. When we believe in Jesus, it is a life-changing belief that will infinitely increase the difficulty of our life. Jesus said that he came that we may have life and have it abundantly. But an abundant life is not a life that is promised to be free of hardship. And if you don't believe that, look at the Apostle Paul. He is on his way in our primary passage this morning to be imprisoned and eventually executed in Rome. When he changed from being Saul to Paul, his life became infinitely more difficult. He had it made. He didn't have to worry about planning churches. He didn't have to worry about sorrowful weeping goodbyes. He was in line to be in the highest level of leadership in Israel, one of the top religious authorities over all of the Jews worldwide. And the Lord changed his life and his heart, and it became infinitely more difficult for him. Physically, he was shipwrecked, he was snake-bitten, he was stoned. People thought he was dead and left him outside the city to die. And then the Lord brought him back up and he went back into the city and started preaching the gospel again. This is not a cushy, comfortable life. Even as he gives his final summary to the church at Ephesus, to the pastors, to the elders there from the church at Ephesus, he says, you know that you didn't support me. 
I could have let you support me, but instead I let the church support you, and I kept making tents. These hands, he, I just imagine that Paul is standing there and he, he holds out his own hands and says, these are the hands that supported me while I was with you. I took nobody's gold. I took nobody's silver. Obviously, people had accused him of skimming off the top from the offering. And so to avoid it, he continued to make tents and preach the word in public and house to house. Listen, it's hard to make tents when people don't want to buy your tent because you're a crazy Christian. And folks, what I would contend with us this morning is there's no middle ground. It is belief and repentance. It is believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that He came and lived a perfect life, that He died our death and took our penalty, that He was raised from the dead three days later, and that changes our hearts and our lives. We will not be perfect. Sometimes I think that we preach to people that we say that this repentance idea is that if you struggled with pornography before you trusted in Jesus, that you'll never struggle with pornography again. And you know what? That's possible. That is extremely plausible that the Spirit can do that and take that from someone. But it might not be immediate. It might become infinitely harder because you know how wrong it is now. And so you're fighting against something, and the Lord is delivering you through it. It doesn't mean that if you are an alcoholic before you trust in Jesus, that you will never be tempted by alcohol again in your life. We set people up for failure when we tell them these things. Oh, don't worry. Once you trust in Jesus, there's no temptation that you will ever face again. Repentance is easy. Folks, repentance is painstakingly difficult, and I would even go so far as to say impossible without the Holy Spirit. It is crucifying ourselves, putting our flesh on the cross daily and saying, I know that these sinful activities are momentarily fun, but I'm going to refuse those so that I can follow Jesus. And Paul had to do that every day. Don't think for one second that it was easy for him If you think it was easy for him, why didn't he go on into Ephesus? If it was easy to follow God's call on his life and to turn down temptation, why did he call the elders out to meet him? Because he knew how tempting it would be to stand among that church and to then say, I got to go die, guys. I'm sorry, I can't can't stick around. I'm going to go die. And have hundreds of people come up to him and go, no, 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 listen, listen, listen. We can send out more missionaries. We'll raise up more pastors. We'll plant more churches. If you're alive, the gospel mission is going to go even farther. It's a very pragmatic and good argument. And he knew he would be susceptible to it. But he chose to deny himself, to count the worth of his life, the value of his life as nothing, and to give it all, surrender all to Jesus. You know, I know that we've, we've heard this a zillion times. It's a cliche. But we sing the song, I surrender all. Folks, surrendering everything is painful. It's surrendering your kids. It's surrendering your comfort. It's surrendering your grandkids. It's surrendering your spouse. It's surrendering your convenience. Repentance means I was going this way, doing anything and everything I wanted to do. Now, I'm going to do everything in my power to do what God wants and calls me to do. 
always loved the way that Lee and Laura Ashley, when they were serving with us, said, when you choose to follow Jesus, you're choosing to go wherever he tells you to go and do whatever he tells you to do. That might mean you are extremely uncomfortable and greatly inconvenienced. But folks, it's time that we stop acting like all we got to do is believe and say a prayer and we can be comfortable and convenient all our lives and that we're fulfilling God's will for our life by being comfortable and having convenience. Being a Christian is not comfortable, easy, or convenient. But God promises to never leave, to never forsake, and to give us an abundant life that is worth more than everything else that comfort and convenience can offer us. And so this morning, it's a simple simple question. It's a question I have to wake up every morning and wrestle with. Have I just kind of believed in here? Have I just said a prayer? Or have I submitted to repent of me being in charge of my life and let God not be the co-pilot I love those little bumper stickers Jesus is my co-pilot no 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 not the co-pilot the captain of the ship the pilot have I believed and not repented have I repented and not believed are you trying to work your way in without believing it doesn't work are you trying to believe your way in without repenting it doesn't work you gotta have both so this morning do you believe in jesus christ believing in him have you repented this is the question that we must all answer if we're going to be honest with scripture do you believe have you repented have you done both as they go hand in hand Throughout all of Scripture. Don't just do one without the other. Because you'll live an unfulfilled life. And you'll be sorely disappointed when the day of judgment comes. Let's pray. Father, we know that in our hearts we are not able, we are not capable of believing and repenting without your Holy Spirit working in us, moving through us. God, help us. And Lord, even when necessary, cause us to repent and turn to you, to put you in the captain's chair, to live a life like Paul lived, willing to go where you tell us to go, even when we know trials, tribulations, hardships, imprisonment awaits us. Father, it's a dangerous prayer to pray, but I pray and ask right now that you give us courage to ask you to send us. I pray that you give us courage to come before you and say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Send me. Whatever you want, wherever you ask, we will go. Father, don't allow us to be a church that sits in lukewarmness where some of us believe but don't repent. Some of us repent but don't believe. Some of us are working towards our salvation and others of us think that we said a prayer when we were kids and it's all that it was required. Father, help us to be a church that believes in you and repents, crucifying ourselves 
to trust completely in you. Father, we love you. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.